Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. My dad used to say, these are the good times, okay? When you're in that moment, declare good times. Declare them so that the young people that are there can remember that it's not always going to be this way. You know what I mean? You've got to carry that with you wherever else you go. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are celebrating our 250th episode. Thank you all so much for your support over the past year or four years, however long you've been listening. We've done some incredible things together. Even just this year alone, we achieved a milestone of one million podcast downloads. That blows my mind. <laughs> also, we were ranked one of the 10 best personal finance podcasts by US News and World Report. My favorite achievement of all this year was that my wife wanted to actually do a segment with me on Fridays called Bread and Wine, to which we've received a lot of great feedback, both from you all as listeners and through reviews. And I mean, she actually likes it, I think, guys. <laughs> and for all of that, I have you all to thank for all of those great things. So thank you. Thank you so much. I just can't say it enough. Thank you. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you may remember that every 50 episodes, we do something special. I like to interview my family, and I do this for three reasons. The first reason is to remind myself that family comes first. And the second reason is to remind my family that they come first. And lastly, it is to remind you all that family comes first. So if you are new to the podcast, I want you to know this is not our typical format. So if you want to hear our typical format, check out one of our most downloaded episodes like episode 239 called The Disadvantages of Paying Off Your Mortgage Early or episode 173 where I interview Sam Dogan about how he makes $200,000 per year as a stay-at-home dad through passive income. So both of those are some highly downloaded episodes. So if you want to check that out, that's more of our typical format. I interview somebody and then other ones as I go solo and talk about something, answer a question. It's fun. Anyway, this year's family first episode, I thought I would shake it up a little bit. Usually I interview Calvin and Zoe and Nicole, but for the past six months, Nicole's been hosting a show on Fridays and Zoe joins me once a month for her money quiz. So I thought I'd invite my mom and my dad on the show for a change. Knowing how much our childhood and our upbringing shapes our future, I thought it would make sense for me to look back at my family's history, how we came to be who we are. And I hope by listening to these two interviews between my mom and my dad, you'll be inspired to dive more into your family's history and learn more about your background and see how you can build upon your family's past. 
because as you'll hear during the show, I feel like it's my duty to honor my parents and their hard work by strengthening our family tree for generations to come. So with that spirit in mind, let's jump into my first interview with my mother, Cindy Hill. Hello, everybody. I am lucky to be here to interview my mother. And today we're going to talk about her life and I guess how it all came to be and all the things that have been going on in her world that kind of made me the guy I am. And again, as we talked about at the top of the show, I like to do these conversations to remind myself, remind you all that family comes first. And so what better way to do that for our 250th episode than start a conversation with my mom. How you doing, mom? I'm okay. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. I know this isn't like, you know, your favorite thing. I know. But I really appreciate you doing it. So. I'm happy to help you. Excellent, excellent. You, As you always have in your entire life, uh, happy to help me. And I, I love yes. that. So I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about you. And, you know, I know that Nicole and I have, have we had a lot of these conversations, a lot of them, especially when it comes to money and it comes to our lives, they stem from our childhood. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your childhood. So mm-hmm. where did you grow up? And I guess if you had to think about where you grew up, like what was your favorite memory as a child? I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in Port Huron, Michigan, which is up in the thumb and moved to Fort Lauderdale when, between my eighth grade and ninth grade of high school, first grade of high school. My favorite memories would probably be in Port Huron because I was probably like second grade to eighth grade there. Riding my bike <laughs> until it was dark, just nice. all over the place. <laughs> Everybody did it. Walking home from school with my sister and probably two or three miles from St. Stephen's, which was downtown Port Huron, to our house on the Black River. We go back and we look at it and we're like, I can't believe we walked that far <laughs> all by ourselves. I was like in fourth grade and she was in fifth grade and... We just did it every single day. I think our parents dropped us off in the morning, but we walked home. That's incredible. Well, that reminds me of when I would be in Gross Point growing yeah, up and walk home. Happy to ride my bike there and go home. I yeah. had the similar similar memories, so that's Those are incredible. Good memories, they just are. being free. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. On your own. Your decisions. You know, we would stop at Dairy Queen sometimes, get a Dairy Queen, but maybe not. You know, but right. we were like fourth and fifth grade. Who does that anymore? I know. You can't. Especially after this it's last not year. Safe. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I do remember that. And my sister is one year older than me, so we have this we share that memory. That's together. cool. Yeah. That's incredible. So you moved to Florida in eighth Fort grade. Yeah, between eighth grade and ninth grade. Okay. Was summer, that a tough time summer. for you? Like cause that's middle school, high school? school or because I was going from middle school to high school not really yeah and in 1962 where the boys are uh-huh. was a movie okay that came out about Fort Lauderdale oh it was like oh my god you're moving to Fort Lauderdale <laughs> and everyone was jealous that uh-huh. I was moving to Fort Lauderdale so oh, and I had great. my sister we were like really close yeah. she was one year older so she was a sophomore and I was a freshman and we okay. started high school one block from our house That's great. that we moved into. It was nice. And the reason for the move was your dad's business? My father in the early 60s decided to go into carpeting because in the 60s, carpeting was the rage. Mm-hmm. Everybody was carpeting. Yeah. Before that, I guess it was hardwoods. Yeah. From the 60s through the probably 80s, I don't know, carpeting was everybody had to have carpeting <laughs> because I think it came out 
they invented nylon mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. So before that, only rich people could have carpeting, sure. wool carpeting. And then once they invented nylon and whatever else, everyone could have carpeting. So yeah. carpeting, big plastics carpeting boom, was right? a boom. Yeah. And he went down there to sell carpeting and ended up opening carpeting stores and owning several carpeting stores. Wow. Before, I don't know, maybe the 80s, it just... Nobody wanted it anymore. Everyone went back to hardwoods. And then maybe the late 80s, early 90s. It's kind of like being in the fashion business then, right? Like something goes out of style. But everyone in Fort Lauderdale wanted carpet. They were building condos. They were all carpeting all those condos. So he was was doing great. So it was good for him. And he was not afraid to pick his whole family up and move them to Florida. Wow. And then at that time, where is it a six-person family? We had five kids. Five kids. Oh, so, so seven. 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 Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a big move. It is. And I re- remember driving from Michigan to Florida. Two cars. He he had a couple kids. My mom had a couple kids. It was just like crazy. <laughs> and then in high school, you met dad. So tell me about when you met dad and what was going on in your life at that point. Dad was in my freshman homeroom. I moved from Michigan to Florida. And in Michigan, nobody wears white except for after Memorial Day. Uh-huh. And and if you have a white purse, you don't use it after Labor Day. So I had this white purse that I spray painted black because I was in Florida and he made fun of me because of it. <laughs> it was really stupid now that I think about it, but I was a kid and I spray painted it black so I'd be, because it was, you know, September and you couldn't have a white right. purse. <laughs> But in Florida, they don't do stuff like that. So you can go to Florida anytime. They're wearing white pants and white purses and white shoes. So that's how I met him. And we remained friends all through high school. Yeah, We hung out in the same group. And of course, as a freshman and a sophomore, I dated the older boys and had a great high school year and then high school four years. And then Butch and I, your dad and I went to junior college in Fort Lauderdale and we became closer mm-hmm. and Ended up a sophomore year of, or junior year of college, getting married. Yeah, that's incredible. So yeah, I mean, that's a early portion of your life to get married and yeah. then shortly after that have kids. Did you always want to be a mom? It seems like you're so incredible with children. I had such a great childhood and you're so kind to our kids. I mean, did you always want to be a mom? No, I never thought about it, but I think in my heart, in my spirit, I'm still a child mm-hmm. and I appreciate the feelings that children have and I want to make children happy and fulfill their dreams. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I just, I'm like a Peter Pan, you know, I want to, I'm never going to grow up. I, I love kids and I love being around kids and I, they make me happier. I mean, my dogs make me happy, you yeah. know, but kids just make me happy when they're happy. It makes me so happy to see a child be happy. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And you can see that too when, you, when you're with them. because To take them to the zoo and yes. see their faces light up when they're seeing animals or feeding a groundhog, you mm-hmm. know, their french fries. It just makes me happy. That, that's riding the trolley with yes. them. It yes. makes me happy. It's not <laughs> just for them. I love it. Yeah. Oh, so that's incredible. I don't know where that comes from, but... Huh. 
Well, I love it. Um, yeah. I've, I've benefited from that. So yeah. thank you very much. I loved having you and your friends <laughs> over. It made me happy to oh, know yeah. that you were having fun. Oh, well, we had a blast. And our, mm-hmm. my friends loved coming over there. They always felt welcome and mm-hmm. lots of fun things to do. When you were young and your 20s, you had two kids. Was that a rough time in your life? Did you guys make it by? What was your feelings if you had to go back to that time? <sighs> well, we didn't have a lot of money. Chris was two and Wendy was a baby. And I ended up doing daycare for kids and I loved it because I just love children. So I only would take kids that were Chris and Wendy's age. So when Wendy was two and Chris was four, I only had two-year-olds and four-year-olds. I ended up getting licensed in the state of Maryland. I, I was allowed to have up to seven children with a license. And I only had children that were their age. And it was like every morning they'd wake up and say, is Jamie coming over? Is Calvin coming over? You know, they're friends. Right. I'm like, yeah, they'll be here all day. And we had a playground right behind our house. And it was, it was fun. That's and great. I really enjoyed it. I've talked to a lot of parents on the show where they try to ride this work-life balance and it just doesn't seem to work out. But when people do what's called work-life integration, they seem a lot more happier Mm -hmm. because, and that's kind of what you're describing. Like you have, yes, I need to work, but I'm going to bring my kids into it Mm -hmm. and everybody's going to benefit. I'm going to make money. I'm going to allow my kids to play with other kids and we're together. That seems like a a good win-win. And I ended up back then, I think I made $300 a week or maybe... $100 $100 a week per child, and I had I had seven. So I could only have five children. I ended up making like $500 a week. That's great. Back in the 70s Yeah, that's some great money. Saved it all, bought our first house. Wow. You know, we had a little savings account, and we just put it all in the bank. That's how we ended up buying our first house with that down payment. It was wow. like $4,000, you know, we put away and bought a little townhouse for like $30,000 in Washington, D.C., which is... Probably worth one hundred fifty thousand now, <laughs> yeah. but, maybe one point five million. Yeah. Probably more like yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Well, you yeah. mentioned saving. I think I got my saving gene from you, mom. So mm-hmm. where did that come from in your life? I remember you helping me open my first savings account, like in second or third grade in Georgia. Yeah. Where did that come from for you? I don't know. The satisfaction of seeing it grow—you just put a little bit in each week, and. and Gosh, in like four or five months, you've got a lot of money. (laughs) I remember you had made a lot of money because you won all these contests Mm -hmm. selling candy when you were a Red Baron, Morley's Chocolates, going door to door. And every year you'd win the first prize Uh and they gave you a bike the first year. And then the second year, they're like, we can give him another bike. We'll give him $500 or something. (laughs) And so you're like, what am I going to do with this? So you just ended up starting saving and you kept saving. You started babysitting and yep. saving, kept putting it in the bank. And then you opened the Janus Fund yep. back in the 80s? Mid-90s, I 90s? think. 90s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when the Janus Fund just went crazy. Yeah, a little tech boom, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know, it's just saving's been good for us. It's good. It is. It helps. And uh, I have fun and with all, it. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got a lot of money and you just were like working, having fun, but you kept putting it in the bank. Right. And there it was. Now it just grew. I love it. Outside of, you know, being a mother to four and doing the the daycare, you also started your career in real estate. So why did you choose real estate? Well, your dad was in automotive and we moved 12 times in our married life. Oh. And we never really stayed anywhere, and I, I had my degree in marketing business, and I wanted to do something. Once all my kids were grown, and I think the lady next door to us on Kenwood Court, Grandma 
Grandma Francis. Grandma Francis, yeah. You were two, and I think Mike was like five or six. And uh, she said, Cindy, if you ever want to get a job, I'll watch these boys. Because she babysat for the boy next door who was like one year younger than Mike. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I thought, gosh, real estate, I can do that anywhere. If we move, I can still do it. And I did. I ended up loving it. And I don't know if the 80s were good for real estate, but it was good for me. And then we ended up moving to Atlanta after, I don't know, 10 years or something. Atlanta was crazy real estate. Boom, yeah. Oh my God, everybody was moving to Atlanta. <laughs> in and out of Atlanta, companies were moving people in and out. I made more money than your dad did one yep. year. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, this is crazy. And then we moved back to Gross Point and I just continued. And I just love finding people a house that makes them happy. Yeah, that's great. And the flexibility of it too. I mean, it yeah, worked well for, for you as a mom. Yeah, I, I felt like you were always there or we were with you. Like I remember being at your real estate offices, like playing under the desks. Sure. And, you know, I think I shot a mo high school movie at your real estate office, but you know. Right, or I could pick you up at school if it was time in Atlanta. I yeah. could still pick, be there at whatever, 345, whatever time you got out. If I'd work my schedule around it. I can't show you a house at two, but I could show you a house at 1.30 right. and be out of there by 345, you know. It's very flexible, very so, good. Yeah. It That's worked cool. out great. That's incredible. Well, I've seen you and dad over your 50 plus years of your marriage. Obviously, you know, that's, that's an incredible, incredible feat, you know, especially I've been only been married for 10 years. Nicole and I've had our ups and downs, obviously, but yeah. I think it's incredible for 50 years. So what would you say the most important thing that you've learned from your relationship over that time? It's not easy. There are ups and there are downs always. I would say pick your battles. That's the number one thing. I think don't fight about things that aren't really that important because may not make you happy, but it doesn't really matter in the long run. You know, it's important that your husband's happy, and of course, you want to be happy. <laughs> but you know, I, I say pick your battles. Don't fight over stupid stuff. Just just let it go. Yeah, it's not you know just because he didn't flush the toilet or turn the toilet paper <laughs> the right way or whatever. That's not important. Things are important that are, you know, you, you have a great dad yeah. and he's been a good husband. Yeah. yeah. He tries his hardest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate this conversation. I love walking through your journey because it gives me sort of a, a peek at my life too. And uh, I had some rapid fire questions that I wanted to throw you at the end here okay. just for some fun. Great. So start with the first one. So just, you know, what comes to your mind? Rapid fire answer. If you could go back to when you were my age. 39, 40, and you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Absolutely. I so wish, I've been going to yoga for seven years, every day, and I so wish I would have started back when I was 40. It's the best for your body. The stretching, the exercise, the mental flexibility that you give yourself. I wish I would have started it way back then. I love it. I go every single day wow. and I really enjoy it. I used to run because I thought being out running is good for your mind. You're clearing your mind. You're thinking, but you can't run forever. Your knees give. I know people used to ask me, why do you run? And I would think, because I still can. Yeah. <laughs> and now I think I can't, even if I wanted to, my knees won't do it. They hurt. I can walk, you know, five miles, but I can't run. But yoga, you can do forever. Uh, if I would have started it at 40, I'd be doing handstands right now. <laughs> 
but I'm not, but I'm, I love it. And every day it's great. I think that's great. That's great feedback. I mean, taking care of your body. And I've, I've even noticed that with, I did the marathon, I think at 35 and I finished the marathon and I'm like, why is this a thing? Yeah. My body hurts so bad. I did it at 36. (laughs) I did it once. Yeah. One time I couldn't go down the stairs for four days. It hurt so bad. And I, you know, I think that contributes to the bad knees. I mean, I haven't had knee replacements and I don't think I ever will, but my knees aren't good. Yeah. You know, I'm 73, so you can't, you can't, can't go back. can forever, pounding, pounding no, on the pavement. No, it's not good. Yoga yeah. is the best mm-hmm. exercise. I like that. It's good advice for me and for the yeah. people who are listening. Think about it. All right, next question. What are you working on to improve right now at this point in your life? Hmm, I just, just guess my health. <laughs> when you're my age, you enjoy every single day yeah. and try to eat healthy and... Like I said, I go to yoga and I try to walk and I and just wake up every morning and then another healthy day, you know, and try and put some healthy food on my plate the whole day. Yeah, it's good. Take care That's of your body. You take care of your is, health. Yeah, take care of yourself. I love it. I love it. Well, if you had to think back to when you were growing up with your parents, what would you say the best lesson is that you learned from your parents? My mom was the sweetest, kindest woman, never said... A nasty word about anyone. And I think I learned from her to not to gossip. Just be be nice. Everyone's different. Don't criticize. Don't judge. Just be nice. My dad was an, a go-getter, not afraid to move his whole family to Florida. Are you kidding me? From <laughs> Michigan? Just pick them all up and move them into a rental? Just He was courageous and brave and not afraid to take chances to better himself. So, you know, a little combination of all of that is good for all of us, I guess. I love that. Well, Mom, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really love you doing this. And thank you very much. And thank you for everything. I talk on the show about the tagline that I like to to use is strengthen your family tree, you know, Mm -hmm. so you can have a better life. So I think of it, what you and dad have done for me over my life has built this strong family tree. And I feel like it's my duty to keep strengthening it for years to come so Mm -hmm. that my kids can have the blessings that I've had. So I just want to thank you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so proud of you and your little podcast. Thank you. Your big podcast. (laughs) It still feels like a little podcast. I know. We're sitting here in my little basement. I'm so proud of it. It's just the best. (laughs) Thank you. Dad and I were talking about that on the way here about would we change anything? Would we spend more time with our family? And we're like, no, I think we did what we want to do. We spent as much time as we could with our family because that's what's important. And we know that you not you don't, it's not something you learn you just know it it's the best that's incredible well on that note cheers cheers we'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor sandal season is something everyone looks forward to and they're sliding into sandals year round because of how they make them feel confident enough to reflect their style and comfortable enough to be their boldest selves Being this, comfort transcends a single season or a single vacation or a single moment. It's a mindset. A mindset that brings the vibes of the summer to any moment. A mindset that creates the space to show up as your most audacious self. A mindset that evokes joyful, bold energy all year long, no matter where it takes you. With the new Croc-style sandals, you can embrace those feel-good summer vibes all year long. Thanks to versatile styles, effortless coolness, and brand new free 
feel technology that feels like nothing at all. These aren't sandals just for a single season. Check out options like the getaway sandals for ladies that make it feel like you're walking on clouds or the Brooklyn sandals that provide sophistication and all day comfort featuring light ride footbeds. I just ordered a couple of pairs for the special ladies in my life and I'm excited for them to try them on this summer. Right now, get 20% off your next purchase at crocs.com. Just use the code TULIP20 at checkout. That's TULIP20, T-U-L-I-P-20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. Recently, my daughter Zoe bought her very own iPhone. I'm so proud of her for saving up her money for years so she could buy it in cash. As some of her friends started sharing their phone numbers with her so that they could talk and text to each other, Zoe wanted to get her own number too. Given our family's great experience with Tello over the past two years, we checked out the site to look for a plan. We found a plan for Zoe for around six bucks a month that gives her unlimited texts, 100 minutes of talk, and 500 megabytes of data. Since she rarely leaves the house and is mostly on our house Wi-Fi, this was plenty for us. But as she gets older and wants to do things with her friends outside of the house, Tello makes it easy for us to increase her data and minutes as we like. Personally, I went with the unlimited data, minutes, and talk plan that's only $25 a month, so it pales in comparison to what we were paying with Verizon previously. If you're considering a new phone plan for your middle schooler, your high schooler, or even yourself and don't want to spend an arm and a leg and still get great service, check out Tello at Mary marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello, T-E-L-L-O. Today I use tello, my wife uses tello, and now my daughter does too. Check out their latest deals at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. Let's jump back into the show. For our second interview of the day, I am lucky to be speaking with my father, Butch Hill, Russ Hill. What do you like to go by, by the way? <laughs> Personally, I know a lot of people have different different well, names for you. What do you like to go by? It's really interesting. You know, I've actually been, have had two names my entire life. I was always Butch yeah. from the time that I was a little boy. I'm, I'm a junior. I'm, I'm a, my dad is Russell R. Hill Sr. And he really didn't want me to be named Little Russ or Rusty or something <laughs> like that. So I got a nickname at a very, very early age. And so socially and family-wise, I was always Butch. On my very first interview that I had at the University of Florida, the, the recruiter came in and he said, Russ, do you, do you go by any other name? And he, he says, I'm sure he thought he was going to say Russ or Rusty. And I said, yeah, my, my nickname is Butch. He says, well, you can never use that in business. <laughs> so, so at that point in time, it's anything that had to do with business, I began to be, be Russ. Wow. Did any of your... I guess colleagues over time like learn the real name and oh, go yeah. by. Oh, and, yeah. well, let's okay. put it this way: every one of my executive secretaries learned it real fast, <laughs> <laughs> and then the word spread. That's so funny. So, how does the nickname like that start as a child? Like, how did they go from Rust to Butch? Well, I, I guess in the fifties. I mean, I was born in nineteen forty-eight. Right. In the fifties, that was a pretty popular nickname. So it, it it just it just came about. As a matter of fact, I have three of my very best friends that are my same age that are all butches. We go by butch one, butch two, butch three. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of Wait, where do you line up? Are you two or I'm three? Or you're number one. I'm of course one. you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and I guess how your family came to be in Fort Lauderdale. That's very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. My family, my mom and dad were originally from Ohio 
and after the war, my father came home, and, and these are the stories that I'm, I'm yeah. hearing. He swore he never wanted to be cold again the rest of his life. He, he came back. He, 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 all he wanted to do was live someplace where it was, where it was warm. My mom's, my grandfather um, on my mom's side was a very robust man, you know, big, big, you know, you know, Larry Lang, big guy. And he had a heart condition. And back then in Ohio, they recommended that you move to a milder climate, okay, in order to, to, to live longer because you had a heart condition. So when mom's family moved to Florida, it fit with my dad's plan of never being cold again. So boom, you know, they moved down there in 1947. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. And then how many brothers and sisters? And I understand that there were additional ones oh, throughout yeah, the process. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there, we actually ended up, as my mother and my grandmother and grandfather moved to Florida, all of my mother's side of the family moved to Fort Lauderdale mm-hmm. too. And my mother and her older sister were one year apart in age and they were like twins. They were very, very close to each other. We had ended up having four children in our family and Aunt Jane ended up having four children in hers. Unfortunately, my aunt contract, contracted cancer at a very, very young age. And, and when she passed on her deathbed, she made my mom promise that she would take care of her kids, which is exactly what happened. So we went from being a family of four and, and literally within two years' time to a family of seven. So we were a, a large family in a, in a nice three-bedroom, two-bath, about 1,500-square-foot house in Fort Lauderdale. So, so we were, it, it was interesting. The girls had, the two girls of the, of the seven had their own bedroom. And obviously, mom and dad had their own bedroom. So guess how many boys were in our bed? Oh, yeah. We had five. Bunk five, bed, maybe. Five boys. We had <laughs> bunk beds and that kind of stuff. But, it, you know, the thing about it, we were so much in love with our, our, our cousins. They were like brothers and sister to us anyway. To this day, that's still the same thing. Our family was a family that was built on love. And, it, and we had, and, and, and me being the oldest, I caught the deadly disease of affirmation because I was always given great praise. <laughs> and at the same point in time, you're, you're given a lot of responsibility to try to take care of everybody. It was a joy to, to, to be together. We were just talking recently. There was no no air conditioning in this house in Florida. Okay. I mean, if, you can imagine living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, you know, and with no air conditioning, but, but it, it, it was, it, it was something that you did. It's something you got, but it's a wonderful, wonderful. I, I was blessed to have an absolutely perfect childhood. That's incredible. Well, I think I've benefited from your, your experience as being a great childhood in, in my life. So talk about this period of time you're in Fort Lauderdale. You eventually meet mom. Tell, tell me about when oh, you yeah. met mom. How'd that all go down? Well, this was very interesting. First year that I was in high school, ninth grade, we were all excited. You know, we 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 got you know we all got to the, went to the uh, went to twelve years of Catholic school, and so this was this was like we were all starting ninth grade, and here we are in this high school because there was so much, so many people that had moved to Florida. We were in a portable. They had these portables in Fort Lauderdale where the extra the extra classrooms could be set up. And all the freshmen, all the ninth graders were in four portables. 
and and Cindy, you know, your mom, <laughs> mm-hmm. was in the same class that I was at, in homeroom, and that's where we met in ninth grade. Did you guys date in high school, or did you wait until college? How did oh, that no, work? No, out? no, no, no. We we the, the, the first year in ninth grade, we I just made fun of her, and she made fun of me. <laughs> uh, our sophomore year, things changed. Okay, we 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 would do you know teenage dating, you know, kind of things, but we were very serious with each other beginning our junior year and we were steady after that yeah that's incredible and then at what point did you guys decide you were going to get married wow Uh, good question we did get married Uh, we got married my junior year in uh, at the university of florida was it a conscious decision the timing was not the conscious thing. The, the, the plan was always the plan. The, mm-hmm. the plan always was she was who I was going to marry and who she wanted to marry. So that was always there. But the timing came to such a thing that it became fortuitous to go ahead and, and, and get married. And it worked out because what ended up happening, she graciously allowed me to complete my education while she worked. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I completed and I got myself a decent job, she went back to to school and and then she graduated after after me. She graduated from the University of Maryland where I graduated from the University of Florida. So by this time, you guys were late teens, early 20s, mm -hmm. and you were living in an apartment. You guys were new parents. Absolutely. What was that like at that point, finishing school? What were you guys doing for income to get by? Like, that sounds tight. Well, see, one of the things that I think that, that uh, we wanted to make sure that never happened to our children is both of us paid for our own college education, every single penny of it. And, you know, you think about what's happening right now with young people as they graduate from college and all the debt mm-hmm. that they've got or that they've accumulated. I had a $1,300 Pell Grant that I had to pay for when I graduated from college, and that was it. So we worked a lot. One of the things that my father did give me, my father my father never graduated from high school, but my father had a, a philosophy that was passed on to him from his father, that it was the father's job to make it better for his son than he had it himself. And what my dad gave to me was the ability and the love of work. Dad taught me how to work. I started working with my dad when I was about 11 years old. And by, so by the time that I was about 16, I was an automobile mechanic. And I put myself through college fixing cars, mostly Volkswagens, by the way. And, and, and then once I realized that it was more fun to sell cars than it was to get dirty every day, that's when I started to sell cars too. So I, I was a car salesman sort of, so I had lots of jobs while I was in college and that actually paid for, paid for me to go to school. That's incredible. And then, so you were fixing Volkswagens, then selling Volkswagens, and then eventually you made it your corporate career to right. be a part of the Volkswagen Group of America. Is that well, right? I, I, again, I was blessed <laughs> and lucky. I mean, I have to tell you, Jesus has been with me a long time, <laughs> and, and he's been sending some people to me along the way. In my senior year of, of school, it was difficult to sell cars while I was at the university. So what I did was I had three jobs at the university. I, had, I was a student assistant in the marketing department, which is a great job. But I was also selling advertising for the local newspaper. And because of all my car experience, they gave me automobile row to call on. So I was calling on all the car dealers and selling them advertising for the Gainesville Gainesville paper. What I didn't realize was that one of the people that I was selling 
advertising to was a gentleman named Coleman Brown, and he owned the local Volkswagen dealership there in town. And I came back from having an interview with Ford Motor Company because I was elated that I was, I was going to get a job working in the car business. I had a great uh, interview with Ford Motor Company in Jacksonville, which is about an hour and a half away from Gainesville. And I came back and I told Coleman, I was so excited. You know, I got this, this interview from Ford and it, it looks good. He says, well, why don't you talk to our people? And I looked at him and I said, well, where, where, how can I get to Germany? How am I going to be able to talk? He said, he said, Russ, he said, he says, we have offices throughout the entire United States. I'll make an arrangement for you to go get an interview. Sure enough, I go right back over to Jacksonville and they interviewed me there. And six months later, you know, I started my career with Volkswagen of America in Washington, D.C., that's incredible. Okay. And you were there for how many years? 33 years. 33 30 years. years. I bounded up the steps in March of 1971 and, and slowly walked out of the, hill, the building in Auburn Hills in 2004. That's incredible. <laughs> but I, gra- I, I, I never say that I retired. I say that I graduated. <laughs> I graduated from Volkswagen of America. It was a wonderful, wonderful blessed career. I mean, I don't know. I guess this is a broad statement, but it seems like people don't have 33 year careers anymore. What was the major benefit for you for being there that long? It was family. I mean, in other words, in other words, the company was very paternalistic. The company treated its employees extremely well. We had the benefits that you get from a great European car company mixed with the the realities of what you need to do in America to be successful in recruiting people. So what it made was a situation where you had the best of both worlds. Uh, Things now that don't exist for people. And I, I think of myself, I was 22 years old when I went to work for Volkswagen. And what did that 22 year old guy have? That 22 year old guy had a college education from I'll argue the best university in the southeastern portion of the United States. I was married to the person who I always wanted to be married to. I had a son already, and I had a daughter on the way. And I was working for an absolutely outstanding company. So, and I was getting paid really, really good money for it because when I, when you, when at that particular point in time for, for a marketing major to get paid the same amount of money as an accounting major from the University of Florida, that was big, big deal. Now, what I didn't realize was that you had to pay state income tax in Maryland and what you don't have to pay in Florida, but you learn these things later on. The real benefit was if you look at who that 22 year old young man was at that point in time and and where they were at that time and again no debt no debt okay i had i was working for a company that was taking care of me in a very, very family way. I had all my health care. I had a company car program, which is another story altogether. And I was I was already mining a pension. Nobody has pensions anymore. This was a real live, honest to God pension that only got better and better and better and better. Now, you have to work for all different kinds of people in that kind of environment. And you get the opportunity to work with people that are wonderful mentors and that are paternalistic and teach you to do the right thing. And you, and you have to also, you have to kiss a few frogs and in, <laughs> in, in the car business, we call them assholes. Right. But, <laughs> but I mean, but that's basically what you do is you, you, but you learn. And as you are able to progress and you're able to pass along 
to the other people. You create an incredible family feeling. Now, in my career, I was blessed with having what I call three Camelot periods in my career. And a Camelot period is when the work is good, when you like the people that you're working with, and where you're a commercial success. You rarely get all three of them at one time. And if you do get all three of them at one time, that's a Camelot period. And I had three of those in my career, the last of which was 10 years long, and that was when I was the general sales manager of Audi in the United States. So it's, to me, it was, I, I never felt like I was going to work. I was doing something that was important. My job became helping other people keep their jobs. And so I had a mission and I felt real good about it. You mentioned the pension. Obviously, we talk about retirement a lot on this yeah. program and mm-hmm. how we can prepare. Obviously, it's a different time from right. when you were able to get a job like that and have a pension. So how has having a pension helped you set up for retirement? Well, well, first of all, I, I, I only had to supplement the pension. In order for me to live the lifestyle that I, I, I wanted to live, I really only had to supplement the pension that I was going to get. The pension that, that we did get you know, and I, I retired very early. I mean, I, Mid-50s, I, retired, right? I retired when I was 50, 56 years 56, old. 56, yeah. And so at that point in time, I got full benefits. And full benefits was two-thirds of my annual salary for the rest of my life and all of my health care and my company car program. I mean, to this day, we have in our family four company cars that, that we use. Now, we pay, pay a, a, a price for them, but considerably less than what you would otherwise. No, nobody has those kinds of benefits anymore. What happened towards the end of my career, they began to realize that with the 401 changes and things like that, there was a way for people to provide for themselves and to do it on their own. You, they, they, they had to take care of a lot less. And to this day, unfortunately, Volkswagen does not offer the same pension program that they did when, when I graduated. Yeah. But all I had to do was it, when the 401 opportunity came around, we fully participated in that too. So the combination of the two has put us in pretty good shape. For the rest That's of incredible. Well, that's incredible. Yes, and definitely as a 16-year-old, definitely benefited from that car program. <laughs> Insurance was included. That's you right, could change right. out your car like every six months. Yep. It was definitely right. a, a spoiled right. 16-year-old right. for sure. Yeah. So you and mom have hit a milestone recently. You guys have been married for over 50 years. That is right. an yeah. incredible, incredible yeah, yeah. amount of time and commitment. <laughs> so tell me about the most important thing you've learned from your relationship during that time? You go through a lot of different stages in your life. And I think that what you have to learn is to be in the moment. Okay. I think it's really, really important. No matter how much you want to plan or you think you're in control of the future, you're not. You're really not. The best thing for you to do is to be in the moment. Clear the absolute most important thing is to have a high level of trust and regard for each other. You know, oftentimes we misuse the word love, okay? And and if you'd substitute the word value for love, if you're always constantly valuing each other, okay? That's a good thing. That that's really a good thing. Oftentimes we confuse the word love and we've used it so much in our society that we confuse the romantic love 
with the caring love, the respect love, the love that you really need to have where you really do regard one another. Now, don't get me wrong. We have had some moments that are are forgettable, that are very, very forgettable. But but we we worked. My job was quite clear. I don't think it works this way anymore in modern families. My job was to provide. My job was to make sure that all of my children and that she could live in a nice place in a great community and the kids could go to school and they didn't have to pay for it. That was my job. That was what I was supposed to do. Her job was to take care of everything else. I mean, she took care of the, the family, the social calendar, everything. I mean, she, I could never do what she did. She's eminently more organized than I am. I'm, I'm a salesman. I can sell people (laughs) things, but, but so it, it turned out to be, it has turned out to be great. Now for your listeners, one of the things that I would advise as, as, as moments in which you have to be sensitive to change, there's a big moment in your life when your last child goes to college and you're back together as just a couple. That is tough sailing for a lot of people because while you have your children there, you're sharing your love with them. You have other things that are occupying your time and you do not have to be totally committed to your spouse. Okay. You have to learn how to live with each other as a couple again. In our situation, we had a a minute in time when we were married before we were with child. So we never really had that courting relationship. We courted with each other for four or five years before that because we started so early. So the college, the last time, call it empty nest. I don't know what you really want to call it, but there's that's a time when you've really got to be hypersensitive about communication, a regard for each other, not stepping on each other's calendars, you know, because those calendars have already been set up while, you, while you've been gone. The next time that that, that that occurs is when your last grandchild, okay, is old enough to not come over anymore, okay? <laughs> and then that's that's another time where you have to learn how to, to get through that phase too. It's all roles. I have the opportunity to interview a, an author who wrote a book called The 80-80 Marriage. It's essentially... Mm-hmm talks about the timeframes in, in which the 80-20 marriage was, was very prevalent in the right. 50s and 60s and 70s where, hey, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and provide and, you know, the other portion that's now today seems to be the sort of 50-50 model where it's like, hey, we're both working and right. we're both putting all this and his argument essentially is 80-80. It's like, let's both put in our all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to learn more about it when I speak to him, but it's all very interesting yeah. how, how things have evolved over time, especially in relationships. And I'm only 10 years into my, 11 years into mine as of a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and I'm still learning every day. So, but I've learned a lot from both you and mom about how to work together, how to create respect for each other, how to work on those roles, especially mm-hmm. as you evolve into these different portions of your life. Right. Cause we, we live so many lives as you've talked yeah. about so mm-hmm. much right. that mm-hmm. it's not all the same yeah. and be ready for the change because That's it's right. coming. Right. <laughs> I mean, the thing that we've got to keep reminding ourselves of is that this is not routine. Yeah. The more you get into a routine and you get into a pattern. Okay. The more boring you are to each other. Right. I, I mean, really, <laughs> it, to me, it's, it's really easy to get really boring with each other. Yeah. 
and and I, I've talked to you about this before, but I'll share it a little bit with your your audience. I have always had this philosophy that you have many lives. Okay, <laughs> you have a married life, and then that married life has even a couple of dimensions. You have a marriage life with kids. You have a marriage life with just your wife. You have a social life, okay? You have a, you have an alone time. Alone time is really, really important. It's important life. to me too. You have a business <laughs> life. You have a religious life. People who are deeply, you know, have, have, have you got to spend time with with your Lord. These are all various different lives. And and as long as you can keep those lives in balance in, in relation to their needs at that particular point in time, you're going to be multidimensional. You're never going to be bored. If you can share as many of those lives as you can with your wife, that's fine. If not, if there's lives that she wants to have, I mean, I am not a yoga person. Okay? Okay? She, she's a yoga person. Right. She has a yoga life. Uh, but, but I think that, that, that that gets back into the respect and regard area because my happiness is when I have those various lives in balance and it's 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 kind of cool it is cool that's cool and I, I strive for that on the daily but that's a work in progress for sure i, I would love to end with some rapid fire questions sure. um, that sure. i'll throw at you so if you could uh, put yourself in my shoes at 39 years old 40 right. years old and give yourself one piece of advice what would it be always keep your 39 year old body <laughs> <laughs> the last thing you want, last thing you want you to do is to is to is to get your sixty year old body. You know when you're thirty nine. Uh, but but no, I think I think maintaining your vitality. You you want to thrive. Okay, I mean that's the whole thing. I mean I think that we really have got to strive for is is a thrive. So if I could go back to my thirty nine year old, what would I do? I, I'd make it a priority to maintain my fitness level, to maintain my vitality. Okay. It's not like I, that I, that I didn't, I mean, I played sports for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, I just got back for three days worth of playing, right. playing golf with my friends. It's not that I'm inactive, but the thing that you have to do is you have to take that hour or two hours every day and basically say, I'm going to make sure that what I put, what, what I do with myself is, is that I, I, I maintain my vitality. That's one. The second thing of it is, is to always, always be learning. Always, always find something that you're interested in and dive deep into it. I mean, really dive deep into it. The last thing you want to have is a whole bunch of unfinished business where you've started a book and you've never finished it. But have a lot of variety of active interests. Be an interesting, you know, be, be, be the guy in the beer commercial, you know, be the world's most interesting <laughs> man. Guy, you know, yeah. you know, but, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I think that you can, in fact, uh, you'd always, always be learning. Never, ever be afraid to yield what I call vulnerable trust. If you trust someone enough to be vulnerable with them, you're going to make deep friendships. And that is worth everything. I love that. I love that. Well, you mentioned learning. Tell me what gets you out of bed in the morning. <laughs> well, what gets me out of bed in the morning right now is about two hours worth of, of, of studying with the Lord. That's what I do right now is I spend the first two hours a day with my Lord. I have my, my uh, spiritual readings that I do every morning. I'm very, very comfortable with, with getting up and spending the first two hours there. What gets me up in the morning is that I have purpose. I still feel that there is something out there that I can do to make people happier, 
that day than they were the day before. Now, again, that gets back to me being the older brother and getting all that adulation, but I really do have no problem at all with confidence. And so from that standpoint, when I leave the house, what I'm doing is I'm looking for somebody that I can I can connect with and either learn something from them or they me and we make a connection. So there's, there's, it's funny. I'm the worst person that you want to have sitting next to you on an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the perspective you're looking at it. That person, if they connect with you, I I guarantee that they'll be influenced because you've influenced me so much in my life. And I'm so thankful to have you as my father. I've learned so much from you and, and as I was telling mom earlier in the conversation that I, I talk about this, this line of strength in your family tree, it's because you and mom have done so much for me in my life that I do feel like it's my duty, as you talked about That's with right. your dad, which right. kind of brings me to tears a little bit, yeah. that it's my job to do the same yeah. for myself as well as my kids. So. Yeah, Thank you. Family traditions are important. We don't have, you know, we do have family traditions. They're not quite as colorful, I would say, <laughs> as they were in my family. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we had, my mom was was an Italian lady that loved to serve meals as if, you know, she was serving for the entire Italian army. <laughs> but But we have a lot of traditions and we do in our family, as you know, we have we have a, t- a lot of uh, uh, traditions. The one thing that, that, that we always do too, and this is for your listeners, is you, when things are going really good, you're in the, what, what my dad used to say, he would say, okay, these are the good times. Okay. And when you, when you're in that moment, declare good times, declare them so that the young people that are there, the little children, children that are there can remember that it's not always going to be this way. You know what I mean? You've got to carry that with you wherever else you go. I love that. Well, that's a great way to end. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. So I, I love you very it. much. I thank you, everybody. I feel so privileged to have these two people in my lives. After the year we just went through, I feel blessed to be able to speak with them and hug them. I mean, it's it's been a wild year. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Cindy and Butch Hill. Number one, change happens. There will be times in life when you've got it all figured out and then change happens. Your schedule changes, your financial situation changes, or even where you live changes. My parents know this well, having lived in a dozen or so different places during their marriage. Times may have been difficult right in the moment of change, but they knew that this too shall pass. They have each other. They have their family. And this change could very well be an incredible adventure. For a guy who loves to control all the details of my life, this is something I'm still learning to embrace. I'm learning to embrace change and not see it as a hurdle to get over, but as a new opportunity to learn from and enjoy. Number two, follow your passions today. There's a sentiment out there that goes something like, when I retire, I'll volunteer more. Or when I retire, I'll have more time for taking care of my health. Or when I retire, I'll learn an instrument or a second language. Instead of waiting until you retire, 
see how you can include some of those passions, habits, or hobbies in today. This is going to do two things for you. The first thing is it's going to make your days brighter today. And the second thing, it's going to help you to realize that retirement isn't the end all be all. Life is here today and it's waiting for you to embrace it. I've always admired how my parents found time for athletics, volunteering as coaches or meals on wheels drivers, while at the same time raising four children and working demanding careers. It may feel difficult at times to try and do it all. I've been there and I still am. (laughs) But if you take it one step at a time and set goals for improvement along the way, you may find that you're living your retirement lifestyle earlier than you think. Number three, recognize the good times. There are good times. There are bad times and there are plenty of just regular times, you know, like sleeping and eating and working and screen time. So statistically, the good times, they're rare. That's why we need to recognize them and celebrate them when they happen. My dad's always been really good at this, quite literally declaring these are the good times. I've always loved my parents' positivity. If you're wondering where that came from, you've listened to the show and you're like, that guy is pretty positive. I think think I've seen that in the reviews quite a bit of times, both positively and negatively. (laughs) This is where it comes from, people. Two happy, positive, family-first individuals that are just happy to be living and loving life today. This is a good reminder for me to recognize the goodness, embrace the happiness, and celebrate the good times. There's plenty of bad news out there, right? So let's be the positive light. Let's be the news you want to hear. And when the good times come, declare it. Declare, these are the good times. Those are my top three takeaways from chatting with my parents. I love them. These are my, these are my people, man. Uh, but I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what your takeaways were. Please hit me up on social media at Andy Hill MKM on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. I wanted to share some good news with you as we close out the show. I have been selected to be the host of a conference that I really admire, and it's called FinCon. This is a conference for people who work in the personal finance industry, both money nerds alike, as well as anybody who's who's really kind of pursuing this, this passion of helping people with their finances. So for me to have attended this conference four years ago in Dallas as a participant, just a new guy walking the halls of this nice conference center in Dallas, not knowing anybody, to now four years later, being able to co-host it with my friend Paula Pant of Afford Anything. It's just a dream come true, man. I'm, I'm really, really happy about this. So I just wanted to share that news with you. It's, it's a great day for me, and you guys are really supporting me and making these dreams possible. So thank you. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Shakira. I thank God that I'm the product of my parents, that they infected me with their intelligence and energy for life, with their thirst for knowledge and their love. I'm grateful that I know where I come from. It's great to look back and honor your family so that you can look forward 
and take them to the next level. Carpe diem. <laughs>